This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, and welcome to this month's Bright Focus Chat. I'd like to quickly introduce myself. My name is Diana Campbell, and I've been with Bright Focus for about 13 years, working with people like yourselves who are impacted by macular degeneration, along with external partners to make sure you have the news and information that you need. The topic of today's chat is the influence of diet, genes, and lifestyle on AMD, or macular degeneration. We're going to spend about a half an hour learning about some of the latest research updates about the role of our diet and other habits or behaviors we have that may impact our eyes. For context, for people who are new today, Bright Focus funds some of the top scientists in the world who are working to find better treatments and ultimately cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's disease. And we do events like today's chat to get the latest news from science as quickly as possible to families that are impacted by these diseases. We also have a lot of information on our website, which is www.brightfocus.org. Today's guest is Dr. Sheldon Rowan. He's an assistant professor of ophthalmology at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts, and is a scientist on the Nutrition and Vision Research Team at the Jean Mayer USDA Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Look at it, tough. <laughs> Dr. Rowan is also a previous grantee of Bright Focus Foundation. Dr. Rowan, welcome back, and thank you for speaking with us today. I wonder uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the discussion. Sure. I've been doing research in this area around nutrition and macular degeneration for about 10 years now. I've actually been doing vision science for probably over 25 years, um, something I started in graduate school and I've just been really passionate about. Um, and one of the exciting things about coming to work at a nutrition research center um, is the ability to kind of take what we've learned about basic science um, especially in like disease processes and related to nutrition, which impacts so much of our health. Um, and so it connects with our mission about healthy aging. And I think, you know, thinking about healthy vision aging is just absolutely essential. I'm really excited to be doing this chat. That's great. And I just, I completely agree with you. And for people like myself who aren't researchers or scientists, the the research it's easier to understand you know such as nutrition as you mentioned um, is great and so wonderful to be able to share with our audience um, so with that you've been involved in studies that contrasted the typical western diet to those in other parts of the world and found that the western diet might not be the best for eye health what are the most beneficial foods for healthy vision so we have learned a lot over the years about what we should be eating to help our vision. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of what our mom always told us to eat. So fruits and vegetables um, are probably the most important things. And, when, and you think about which kinds of fruits and vegetables, especially ones that have color in them that contain carotenoids. Um, so we're talking about beyond just carrots, anything with red color, with orange color, you know, like peppers, tomatoes, um, those kinds of fruits and vegetables. Um, within vegetables, leafy green vegetables obviously are great, um, but things that are in the broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprout kind of family have been shown to be great for healthy vision. Um, and then the other food to throw in there is fish. 
which especially for macular degeneration, I think we'll talk about it as we go on, has some additional protective effects. So those are what I would kind of consider to be um, the healthiest foods for maintaining healthy vision. That's great, and I think that kind of guiding principle you shared about color um, makes it a lot easy, you know, easier for us to implement rather than memorizing the list of what's good for you and just kind of looking at your plate and making sure that, you know, there's plenty of color on it. So there are also foods to avoid, right? Your own research was some of the first to make a direct connection between the high glycemic diet that's typical in the West and changes in the microbiome that lead to an increased risk of macular degeneration, or AMD. You showed this in animal models. What are high, gly high glycemic foods? The, the way that we determine if a food is high glycemic um, is it's about the carbohydrates that are within the food and how quickly those carbohydrates get broken down into sugar during the digestive process. So when we think about a high glycemic index food, typically we think about something that contains a lot of simple sugars, um, you know, the best example being like a sugar-sweetened beverage. Um, but there's other foods that could also be really high glycemic that have no added sugar to them. Um, so, for example, starchy foods that have like very simple starches that get broken down, especially ones that have been processed, tend to be very high glycemic foods. Um, the best example I, I like to think about for this is cornflakes. Um, so when you look at the nutrition information for cornflakes, there's like no sugar in it. Um, but the way that our body treats that particular kind of processed cornstarch, it almost instantly gets converted into glucose. Um, and it's how quickly that glucose goes into the bloodstream that determines kind of what our responses are to the different kind of food. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, and we mentioned the microbiome. What exactly is the microbiome, and what is it about the microbiome that helps mediate the potential damage done by these high glycemic foods? So the, the microbiome, I think it's a phrase that most people have heard a lot about. It's the collection of all of the microorganisms in our community. Um, when we talk about the microbiome in humans, we're often talking about bacteria. Um, but it's important to keep in mind that there are other organisms that live inside us, and um, we also consider viruses as part of our microbiome. And then within the body, we have a lot of different microbiomes as well. So the one that my research focuses on and a lot of people are most interested in is um, the gut microbiome, because that's our largest and most significant. But almost all of our organ systems contain their own um, microbiome. So for example, like the skin has a very well-defined microbiome. Um, the eye has a microbiome on the surface. Um, the nasopharyngeal cavities have a microbiome. Um, but again, as I mentioned, the one that we think about most in kind of response to diet because of its proximity to the food coming in is the gut microbiome. Um, and the gut microbiome is the one that's sensing different changes in the glycemic properties of our foods. Um, so, for example, right. one of the things that um, a high glycemic diet can do is it could lead to kind of a short-term hyperglycemia, so an increase in your blood sugar. And that actually changes the properties of the gut as well. Um, it could change the permeability, allowing bacteria inside the gut to kind of temporarily escape. Um, and those can go on and signal to inflammatory processes. Um, there's other bacteria living inside our gut that can specifically utilize some of these different um, carbohydrate sources. So potentially... Wow, thank you for that. 
Go ahead. Oh, sure. I was just going to say um, the way that those microbiota use the microbiota being the different organisms like bacteria um, utilize those um, carbohydrates can lead to them producing compounds that can go and signal to the eye and other parts of the body. You just got to my next question, and that was, does it signal or communicate messages to the eye? Um, and what would those messages be, I guess? Um, so we think about a lot of different kinds of communication pathways. The, the short answer is there are a lot of different signaling pathways. We don't know all of them yet, and that's one of the focuses of my research, and I would say a lot of people. Um, so one of them are, um, like I mentioned, um, signaling in inflammatory and kind of modulation of the immune system. So one of our most important pieces of the immune system is within the gut itself, um, around the colon. And the microbiota in there and the way that our food is processed can change um, inflammatory cells in the gut that could signal to other parts of the body. So you can certainly get a signal going from the gut to other parts of the body um, that signal inflammatory processes that we know are part of what happens in macular degeneration. Um, but there are other kinds of signals that go from the gut um, to other parts of the body. Um, and some of those are small molecules. Um, even certain hormones have been known to be released um, through gut microbiota. In fact, even neurotransmitters can be produced in the gut and go on and signal to other parts of the body. So we think it's a combination of all of these above um, that is how the communication path works between the gut and the eye. Wow, that's really great information. And what really stood out to me was um, the inflammatory process. We've talked a lot on these chats about the role of inflammation, um, you know, in the complement factor, for example, and especially in dry AMD. Um, but it's interesting to hear how it all pieces together. Very, very interesting. Um, so in this communication with the eye, and given that we're talking about macular degeneration, is the retina itself especially vulnerable to age and other damage? Yeah, the retina, just because of where it's situated in our body, um, does have unique vulnerabilities. Um, so we think about the environment especially um, being an impact on the eye. So light damage, for example, um, because the eye is directly exposed to the light, um, that we think of that as being um, a unique vulnerability within the eye. Um, but there's also aspects about how the phototransduction works, how we actually convert um, that light into a neural signal um, that makes the eye kind of susceptible for damage. So, for example, our photoreceptors, the actual cells in the retina that are picking up the light, have really high amounts of DHA. This is an essential omega-3 fatty acid. Um, but it has such a high concentration, there's such a high metabolic activity that it's actually prone um, to getting damaged itself, which can signal inflammatory pathways. Um, sure. The other thing sure. about the eye, like other parts of the brain, is that it doesn't really have like, a natural regenerative process. So when the eye does get damaged, there isn't an easy way for it to repair itself. So right. unlike other organisms, it, uh, other organs, it does have um, more susceptibility to kind of environmental damage. That's great incentive for all of us to take into account some of the things you're mentioning today. Um, really quickly, I have a couple of um, basic questions um, from the audience. Primarily, um, one, 
Um, just verifying whether the information that we're talking about today is applicable to wet AMD, dry AMD, or both? I think it's applicable to both. Um, certainly from the experimental side, um, some of my research has linked changes in the gut microbiome in our diets to a dry AMD model. Um, but there are other sure. papers that have specifically looked in the context of wet AMD. And I think it's the fact that they have so many um, common processes, like we mentioned inflammation. Um, so I think it applies to both forms of disease. Well, and truth be told, it's, um, they're good guidelines in general for our general um, heart health and other you know, types of health that isn't necessarily um, specifically about the eye. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, okay, so moving on, are there, are there simple dietary changes we can make uh, other than incorporating the, the colors and fish? Maybe swapping out certain foods, such as switching from refined sugars and starches to a healthier mix of whole grains and reduced sugar. Um, and are there immediate benefits when people start changing their diet? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the idea of simple swaps is probably one of the best concepts that the glycemic index has given people because um, most people don't want to make a wholesale change to their whole diet, but they want to make small changes that can kind of add up over time. And so the one you mentioned is great, the idea of like having a whole grain food rather than the refined. So whole grain bread instead of white bread. Um, and there's a lot of ways to make those kinds of swaps. Like you could think of um, having steel cut oats instead of instant oats. They, you know, it actually tastes better anyway. Um, basmati rice has a much lower glycemic index than regular white rice. Um, but something that I've learned recently kind of from doing experiments on myself, I got to have a, a glucose monitor hooked up to me for a two week period of time. And I kind of used myself as a guinea pig to test out how I can change the glycemic properties of the foods I eat. Um, just the way that we combine foods together can really reduce um, the glycemic index of a meal. So if you have, say you're going to have a bagel and like that's just what you're going to have. Um, if you eat that bagel together with um, another food like say a bag of almonds, it really effectively lowers the glycemic response of the whole foods because we eat our foods in combinations. So combining the right foods together can improve that. Um, the other thing that I found that was quite surprising was um, exercise can also really slow the rate at which the glucose gets released into the blood. So I did an experiment where I had a bagel and then went for like a quick 15 minute walk and my blood sugar went significantly lower doing that little bit of exercise afterwards than when I just had it and then was sedentary for the same period of time. Wow, that's really, you know, that's, that's awesome. You did the experiment on yourself and you have all this, you know, firsthand knowledge of, you know, not necessarily giving up the bagel, but adding, you know, the almonds to kind of balance out um, the net effect. Um, you know, I, I think people typically think of just removing things completely, and oftentimes those are things we get sad about removing. Um, you know, so small suggestions like this are also really interesting, I think, and important. Um, we've talked a lot about um, carbs. Is um, a high-fat diet also harmful for macular degeneration? Yeah, from both experimental studies and what we see from kind of epidemiology studies, um, a high-fat diet does seem to contribute to eye disease. Um, and 
you know, the way that people eat their foods together, we, we talk about a dietary pattern. A lot of times people eat um, like a high glycemic food together with a high fat food. So think about burger and fries, um, those kinds sure, of things together. Sure. And those can synergize um, sometimes to cause damage to the eye, you know, using more than one pathway potentially. Um, so wow. the, the nature of the fat seems to have a big role in its risk to your eye health. So um, animal-derived fats and especially um, trans fats, which we've luckily more or less phased out of our diets, um, seem to have the worst effect. Whereas there are other fat sources, like again, I mentioned fish. The, the fish is, especially things like salmon and tuna can be fatty, but those fats are really healthy for the eye. So it, it's best not to think about like high fat versus low fat, but to think about the quality of the fats um, and kinds of what their sources are and how they've been processed. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, there's also a question about the high glycemic foods, um, you know, and, and perhaps even the um, high fat diet also contribute to things like diabetes and heart disease. Uh, is there any connection between other chronic diseases like like the ones I mentioned and AMD? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, there are really good connections between a high glycemic diet and risk for diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Um, but the connections between those diseases and AMD gets a little more murky. Um, I think that's right. an interesting question. So we know, for example, obesity could be a big risk factor for cardiovascular disease diabetes, um, and it's also a risk factor for macular degeneration. Um, but when we've tried to tease out, are people that have cardiovascular disease more at risk for macular degeneration? The answer is maybe a little less clear. Um, diabetes right. probably, but maybe a little less clear. Um, and we think that there are there's actually some good explanations for that. So sometimes um, some of the risk factors for Cardio, for cardiovascular disease um, could actually help protect you against macular degeneration. We see like these kinds of paradoxes. So I wouldn't necessarily say that one always leads to the other, but sometimes the baseline fundamentals behind them are similar um, in the disease risk. Sure, sure. And like I mentioned before, healthy eating benefits many different systems. Um, so. Um, so uh, a question kind of aside from the natural ways we're taking in nutrients, um, we always get a lot of questions about ARIDS um, and how do ARID supplements figure into all of this? Do the dietary changes we've discussed provide some, some benefits in early to intermediate macular degeneration that go above and beyond the potential benefit of taking ARIDS? So are, are they kind of like an add-on to the ARIDS or does ARIDS replace the need to, to do the dietary changes? Yeah, this is so good to talk about because I do think there is a lot of confusion about this. Um, what we've seen is that the benefits of the diet um, seem to be in addition to the benefits associated with the ARID supplements. Um, so certainly people that are taking the ARID supplements still get additional benefits from eating a healthier dietary pattern. Um, and there are some great studies done um, using the ARID studies, which were run by the National Eye Institute, that kind of showed that people that eat a more Mediterranean-style diet um, are still protected, um, even ones that are taking ARIDs. And then the other thing I think it's worth um, keeping in mind is that the components of ARIDs, even though those are naturally found in foods, are present at much higher levels in the ARID supplement 
than we could ever get um, from our diet alone. So even though they're, they're natural products, we kind of almost take them in a medicinal kind of way. Um, and at the same time, um, some of the foods and nutrients that we, some of the nutrients that we get from our food can't be taken in supplement form. So for example, I've mentioned fish a couple of times, um, and we know that fish is a great source of DHA and EPA, which we know are really important in the retina. But the ARIDS trial actually tried doing a study with adding in DHA and EPA alone, and that didn't seem to have any additional protective effect, whereas fish intake does. So I would say, like, it's best to think of ARIDS and our nutrition as kind of separate entities that can work together but probably not replace each other. I think that's great information. As I mentioned, we always get questions about ARIDS, the different components of it, and you know, how it helps. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. I remember uh, when you and I were talking before this call, you said um, vitamins do not equal nutrition. <laughs> when I wrote that down, <laughs> I loved it. Um, you know, I, I have had people, you know, with other conditions just say, oh, well, I take this vitamin, so I don't need to worry about that, like calcium, for example. And it's like, no, 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 you still have to, you know, do the dietary changes necessary. Um, so I think clarifying that is, is wonderful. Um, okay, so aside from dietary changes and supplements like ARIDS, um, what are some other lifestyle modifications that can benefit people with AMD? Um, I know we talked briefly about exercise, um, but are there any other lifestyle modifications to make? Yeah, I would say that the two most important things we can do in our environment outside of what we're eating is to not smoke. Um, and, you know, smoking I think is a little less prevalent now than it used to be, uh, but it's a huge risk factor for macular degeneration. And our environment plays a role in that, both our exposure to smoke and our kind of um, environment that could encourage it. So not smoking. And, and exercise is actually like a perfect example of another lifestyle change that we can make. We now have actually some good data that exercise can help um, reduce the risk for early macular degeneration. So that's it's interesting. It's a little different than some of the dietary effects that have been studied more in the context of AMD progression. Um, I think there's a, an excellent opportunity for exercise and diet to be used together, again, like our, you know, our parents always told us and our doctors told us. Um, but we now have some solid data behind that. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm looking at the questions from the listeners, and um, this goes right in with the topic we're talking about. Are sunglasses important for protection with AMD? I know we briefly discussed light in one of the other questions. Yeah, I, I think sunglasses can be an important part of that. I think um, you can also get protection from regular glasses as long as they have significant UV protection. So oh, good. I, it, yeah, I, I made sure when, when I got my eyeglasses done that they had, you know, strong UVA and UVB protection. Um, we don't know a lot about if sunglass use on its own um, can help prevent that, but I think the idea of, like, considering the environment as a potential source of damage um, gets you in a, a mindset to make other smart choices. So, sure, I think sunglasses are great. Wonderful. Um, we've, you know, we've talked a lot about different lifestyle modifications and changes. Um, is there a set somewhere of easy lifestyle guidelines um, that would be easy for people to follow? Um, you know, those who have AMD and also those who are at risk of developing it? Uh, or is it forums like this that kind of serve to communicate this information? 
I think we have a good sense of um, of what the key lifestyle changes are. So again, like the smoking, exercise, healthy diet. Um, something to keep in mind is that it's sometimes hard to get this information from your ophthalmologist. Um, and I think this may have to do with just how people specialize in different areas. Um, so surprisingly enough, our, our primary care physicians probably know a little bit more about lifestyle changes that could be healthy. Um, but it's good to know that there is, you know, strong scientific data supporting all of those components in reducing risk for macular degeneration. And I should mention that there's new research out there that shows that this kind of combination of the three things, so not smoking, um, healthy diet and exercise, can reduce the risk for macular degeneration, even among people that are at like very high genetic risk. Um, for developing macular degeneration. So no one should feel like that there's no point to them doing these things. I mean, hopefully people always understand that it's worth, you know, taking steps to improve our health, especially as we're getting older. Um, but there's no inevitability of macular degeneration. Um, you can always do something. Absolutely. And it's nice for people to feel empowered, you know, to feel a little bit of control over, you know, something that's in many cases, taking over their life and all the decisions they make. Um, so I, I like that a lot. This is all just such great information. Uh, a couple of final notes before we conclude. Next month, on June 29th, we will have a fantastic discussion about living your best life with low vision, featuring Ranju Prasad, who is a specialist in low vision rehabilitation. With all of that, and to close out today, Dr. Rowan, uh, this has been a really great conversation and very informative um, for me and I'm sure for others as well. Uh, I think you've given our audience some clear, actionable steps we can all consider to potentially impact our eye health um, and maybe make us feel like we have a little bit more control of what's going on with our bodies. Um, before we conclude, are there any final remarks you'd like to share with the audience? Um, no, I, I think you brought up a really good point that Bright Focus is a, an incredible resource um, for the whole community. Um, and I think you, you guys make such an effort to reach out to scientists and to kind of like make sure that we translate our findings into um, public and actions that people can take. So I'm grateful and I hope that people utilize um, Bright Focus as a source for, um, for knowledge and, and learning. Thank you so much for mentioning that, and we appreciate it. Um, and really, on behalf of um, Bright Focus and the audience, we very much appreciate you educating us today on the influence of diet and lifestyle on our vision. Um, so uh, in addition to the thanks to Dr. Rowan, thank you, everybody, for making my debut as our Bright Focus chat moderator so smooth. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This concludes today's Bright Focus chat, and we will return on June 29th. Thank you so much. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.